Hello, BCC listeners. My name's Eric Pace. I'm a pastor of Macedonia Baptist Church in Liberty, North Carolina, just south of Greensboro. Uh, the ministry that I uh, founded and so-called director of is Pillars Biblical Counseling. Uh, I say so-called because I'm the only one that is uh, part of that. I am ACBC certified, six and a half years and what I do is mainly support pastors uh, through different associations as, as a pair organization to other churches and, and their staffs, and, and as well as the, the teaching elders, and try to uh, resolve conflict that when it occurs. And they're very, very seldom as it's sin issues, mainly just spiritual formation and spiritual encouragement. Well, the BCC. Uh, is a major support for me, as well as uh, I, I encourage you to support the B- BCC itself also because of, of the co-laboring effect. And my greatest blessing of being a BCC partner is the educational uh, material that comes out uh, weekly, almost daily, and it's such a, a spiritual encouragement for me and almost always has exactly what I need at the right time to be a better a biblical counselor. You're listening to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I want to encourage you, whether you're a brand new listener or you've been listening for a long time, to be sure to check out the other resources of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our website, biblicalcc.org, is full of great free resources for people who are struggling in a variety of areas, as well as counselors and those who are helping those people who are struggling. If you click on the resources button on our menu tab, you'll find an alphabetized listing of thousands of free resources highlighted by topic, and I just encourage you to go there to get some encouragement from God's Word and uh, to help yourself or others deal with the trials that this world, uh, that we face in this world. Today I have with me, joining from Texas via Zoom, is uh, Lee Lewis, who is pastor of Soul Care at Radiant Church in Austin, Texas. Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Lee, tell tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, goodness, I've got a wife, awesome wife, and four kiddos, 13 on down to uh, seven. Um, been in pastoral ministry since 2005 and been in the biblical counseling movement since 05. I was trained as a secular therapist with the goal to plant a church. I didn't know anything about biblical counseling and then got introduced to biblical counseling through a couple of dear friends that, that were you know, had a private practice. And so um, they introduced me to this thing called biblical counseling. And, and then that's when all my life seemed to make sense up to that point. So um, started my practice, built that up, and then got, had the, I've had the privilege ever since then to serve in several churches and several church planning networks to, to help churches like build out a culture of, of uh, gospel care. So it's, it's a little bit about me. Yeah, well, thanks so much for that that background, and it's always interesting to hear how people uh, became aware of biblical counseling and and what led into their current ministry of biblical counseling. It's always a an interesting story and unique story. Right now, tell us about the ministry at Radiant 
church and what you guys do there in Austin and how, how is biblical counseling, how is soul care interwoven into the fabric there? So um, uh, Radiant Church is part of the Great Commission Collective, which is a church planning network. Um, and uh, I'd say over the last several years, the, the Great Commission Collective had worked pretty hard to try to build some soul care um, soul care related resources into the fabric of, of the planting. Um, and a guy named Garrett Hickby is who I've known for years as part of the BC movement, um, started to really make me aware of some of the things that he had developed in his ministries in and around harvest. And then the great commission collective along with Wellstones that were more church, church leader equipping church philosophy, equipping than individual counseling equipping, even though we do a bit of that. And so I've been able to serve at Radiant in a capacity similar to what I was doing in Canada a couple of years ago, but a bit more formalized where I pastor at Radiant. Um, we've got a lead pastor here, so I just provide the soul care. Um, and uh, and then we've got several other churches in our network that I specifically a couple in, in Texas and then in Florida that I provide more like distance coaching consulting with. I do show up and do some trainings for them, but um, it's it's been a neat way to kind of be a shared resource and help several churches like that are trying to build a culture of gospel care more than just kind of a snap on ministry of of biblical counseling. Yeah, no, that's really good. It's really helpful. Um, And just tell me real briefly, because I know we want to, we want to focus on a little different aspect of it, but how do you think that is different when coming into it as a plant, how can churches, if they're starting, think through um, soul care, as you said, not as a snap-on ministry, but really integral uh, and really part of the DNA of the ministry as a whole. Yeah, I think most biblical counselors would agree with me. They that the further you get into the biblical counseling movement, the more like hope you have for the church as a whole, not just mm-hmm. individuals to do you know intense counseling. Yep. Um, and so, I think with a church plant, like to really give them a framework of mutual ministry that comes straight from the scriptures, and like show them how that could affect. Um, and the implications on how they equip and pursue elders, how they equip small group leaders, mm-hmm. you know, e- even if they don't have a formal counselor raised up yet or a good biblical counseling referral option from, from the get-go, they can at least start to implement some significant pieces of what it means to be gospel-centered, heart-focused that end up paying dividends all the way forward, especially as they get more formalized biblical counseling pieces. So, in fact, one of the churches up the word out, uh, up the road that I work with they're three years old. I've been here three years. And so we started at the same time and it's been neat to watch just this culture of biblical counseling, just get established in their church. And they don't have anybody on staff that actually runs that ministry. It's just their elders that run it. So it's been neat. Yeah, no, that's really good. And really encouraging to, to hear that that's happening. Uh, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about was, and you mentioned it briefly there, was you were in Texas uh, working at the Village Church for 10 years, and then you went up to Canada and actually were working at a church up there, and now you're back in Texas. Um, so I think it gives you a, a little bit of a unique perspective on the cultural dynamics that influence and are at play in biblical counseling. Uh, I anybody who's listened for a long time, I always ask, especially international uh, guests, how culture influences it. But occasionally somebody's like, well, it doesn't really, really impact it, really influence. And I thought, I think Lee's going to have an interesting perspective here because even though we're both Western, um, you know, relatively similar cultures, 
there's a pretty pretty significant difference between well, especially Texas and Canada. So yeah. tell me a yeah. little bit about that. <clears throat> yeah, the joke was when I got to Canada that I was over two. I was an American and a Texan. So, and I started <laughs> off at a great deficit. Um, you know, like w- w- what I loved and I miss, there's so many things I miss about Canada, especially the Canadian church, just great people and dear friends still up there. Um, but right away I noticed, um, especially having the ability to have a relationship with quite a few churches up there, how few churches there actually are. Mm. Um, and by, by that, I mean churches that like that have remained evangelical that actually preach the gospel, but the ones that do, man, they're all seeing really neat things happen in the Lord. Um, and so, so similarly with that, the biblical counseling movement's much smaller there. And I, and I was in Dallas. I mean, we had tons of options yeah. by way of biblical counseling around us. Um, and so to go to a place that just had very, very few, or like you'd look for a ACBC certified counselor or an ABC certified counselor, and he's like five or six hours away, or she's yeah. like, you know, two provinces away. And it's, and, and, um, here they're a dime a dozen to some degree. Um, but to see the faithfulness of those men and women and, and the churches there to stay in the gospel and to stay in the word and like the Lord was blessing that. And if anything, I feel like I learned as much, if not more, just by being there and seeing the need to stay focused on those main things and not let culture cause a drift. Um, because of the nature of the persecution that the church in Canada has faced already, I think America's headed there. They've already faced it for the last decade plus it's caused them to have to really just stick to the things that matter most that evangelicals historically, since Jesus went to, to be with the Lord, like have had to cling to, you know? Um, and so I, I found myself like nearly re-energized in the faith coming from a heavy American evangelical setting where you see lots of people that are Christians, but maybe they're not, maybe they're more culturally Christian where up there, if they call themselves a Christian, it doesn't benefit them at all. Like yeah. culturally speaking, so that was refreshing to me and to see how it purified and kept their ministries. Like I think single focus was, was a great encouragement. So no, that's a really interesting, a uh, really interesting comment there. And you look historically when Christianity gets tied to the cultural, cultural identity, uh, it actually leads to more problems. So you see, you know, you think about different state churches throughout, throughout the his, you know, history of the world and it just confuses things yeah. when, you know, your birth certificate actually is more a baptism certificate yeah. uh, and your identity with a, in a culture is related to your identity in the church. That can be really confusing. How, um, so I think focusing on and highlighting the importance of the gospel and those things that are central uh, is one, one aspect of that. But how else, how did you see... Uh, maybe some insight on how we can, through that, then distinguish when we are being influenced by culture rather than scripture or gospel, the gospel. You know, and that, I, it's one of the things I've loved about the biblical counseling um, movement, just for me personally. Like, I mean, when I got into Bible college, this is pre-seminary, pre-grad school for, for counseling, I, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. So counseling was a means to an end for me to church plan, even though I didn't know anything about secular versus biblical versus integrated. Um, biblical counseling, I think, gave me a framework to really like, like look at cultural things that were coming in and out of my office because you're counseling people who are in the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so yet not be threatened by them, just like, okay, let's take that to the word. Let's take that to the word, which by default helped me as a pastor immensely. Like, 
I would say biblical counseling training and biblical counseling as a practice has influenced my pulpit ministry and teaching more than anything when it comes to staying gospel-centered, heart-focused, truthful, but then also culturally sensitive. But it, there's like, I think, a fine line, though, because some, at some point, the culture can be much more of a rudder than you realize. And biblical counseling, historically, you can go back all the way to the Puritans, I believe. They've always been like, we, we've just like, let's keep that rudder on the main thing, right? So that it doesn't, so we, we can stay true to the scriptures, stay available to speak into things that are going on today, but driving them toward the word of the Lord some point though that that rudder can start to really drift towards the culture and you're more culturally relevant than you are gospel centered and i think that's dangerous right so yeah no that's a really really good word so when you're going into um cross-cultural ministry and we can focus it around biblical counseling what are some things to to keep in mind or um it's interesting, yeah, because you don't want to focus on being re- so so focused on being relevant that you swerve from the gospel, but you also don't want to be ignorant of the yeah. culture and go in and do things that are offensive or or uh, go in and not not actually be able to communicate the gospel because you're so culturally unaware. So how do you prepare yourself? How do you enter into that cross cultural ministry context? Um, but you know, by God's grace, there is. Um I mean, even before I left uh, Texas the first time, it was, you know, I had had some good mentors in my life that like taught me not to be super threatened by psychology. In fact, I had made some mistakes early in ministry by alienating some professionals at our church because they weren't quote unquote pure biblical counselors. And I learned that that was a mistake. I wanted to be more of a bridge builder um, because they care for people. I want to learn from them. So I knew going into Canada that I needed to like talk to doctors I needed to see if there was any professionals, some clinicians or some psychologists in the congregation. And there were, there were two, two men in particular. One was a professional counselor and the other one was a, um, he was like an addictions, like he had his PhD in addictions and, and ran rehab facilities and stuff, pure medical model, you know, but they both love Jesus. And so I went to them early and just, I, I just, I asked for a lay of the land, you know, and then I even kind of gave them some of my worldview from a biblical counseling perspective and kind of invited them in to understand kind of where I was coming from. And it's funny, neither one of them were opposed to what I would say. In fact, one of them, I would say, became a biblical counselor by the end of it. Um, But they helped me see how psychologized the Canadian culture was um, and how long it had been that way. And you could say the same thing about the American culture. We're heavily psychologized. But it, it was even to another degree than I had experienced there in the Dallas area. Um, and so that helped me, I think, like, instead of just pouncing on psychologized counselees, like, kind of let me know, like, hey, I really need to be really good at helping them reframe and understand biblically what they're talking about based off what they've known their whole life, you know. So certain diagnoses, certain things that were consistently said by people in that culture, people just kind of assume that to be just a this is how and why people struggle with certain things. Mm. So to be diligent and slow to get them to a, like more of a biblical understanding of the dynamics of the heart, yeah. that took, that took a lot of patience and, it, and it, I had to go slow in that. And I think that helped win some people over instead of just creating divisions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, it's a good reminder. And I think, I think it's also maybe highlights too, that there are different times and different ways that we go about that. Cause you know, you, when you look at scripture, you look at Jonah going to Nineveh, you look at Jesus in the, you know, uh, 
in his culture in, in Israel, there are times where we make a loud noise for the gospel that is so countercultural, people can't not pay attention to it. And then there are other times where making a loud noise, especially about non-central things, and I think this is what what you're talking about, this the cult the the culture the cultural milieu of psychology is it's important, but it's not the essential. No. You don't need to alienate people. The gospel will alienate people. We don't need to alienate people on these second on these other issues. So taking it a little bit slower. Going in with also with humility, asking questions, that kind of thing. No, that's really Well really and that was one thing and I learned about Americans like like we have a not a great reputation in other parts of the world. <laughs> That's true. And, and I I felt that it would be better for me to keep my mouth shut mm. and to try to learn. And um and I think I realized that because I could pick up on some negative stigma. Not other believers were gracious. I never felt alienated, but there was just a stigma that that I could kind of sense. I'm like, you know what? It's probably good for me to learn here. Mm. <laughs> um and so that 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 was good for me as an American with kind of all the answers, so to speak. You know, mm. you don't have all the answers, and I don't even believe that I have all the answers. So don't act like you do. You yeah. know, yeah. in fact, if anything, like be slow to speak, and um, and yet at the same time, the church there and the other churches I was working in and around, they were unbelievably gracious. I never felt, I, I if anything, I felt like they wanted to partner at a deeper level just because of the experiences that that we've been afforded where where I was. And they longed to see people have those types of opportunities where they were. So it made me realize how much of a blessing I'd had as an American, but also where we were um, in in the central part of the states. So, yeah, no, and and I think that's even a good a good point. I've tried to highlight that a little bit too. Is that even within the United States, we have a very very wide range of cultural experiences. You know, yeah. Texas. You all know that you're basically another country in and of itself. So. <laughs> <laughs> um and better worse yeah, it's uh yeah uh, i i encourage people to travel to get around see other people experience different things because man the cultural diversity within our own country is is really pretty wild so um <clears throat> any other thoughts or or things that you would say to somebody um maybe maybe that just from that lesson of going back and forth between, and again, the reason I say it's it's a less drastic is you're not dealing with language barriers. You're not dealing with these massive. You know, you're not. You didn't go to a, a Buddhist or Hindu world. You know, country. There are obviously bigger cultural shifts that could exist, and I think that was part of the thing that highlighted it for me. Is the as close as we are, there are still significant differences. Um, any other lessons learned through that experience? Um, just don't underestimate the value of strategic partnerships. Um, and, and thinking like, not just, oh yeah, people want to partner to plant overseas and in other countries, but like, you know, like what would it look like with the wealth that we have in the biblical counseling movement in America to send good soul care givers and good biblical counselors with a church planner, hmm. just for the sake of good pastoral care. Like I, that opened my eyes to some great opportunity. Like, um, so don't underestimate those key strategic partnerships either. It, you know, especially with some of the overseas and multicultural biblical counseling ministries that we already have, like yeah. there's opportunities to partner there that I think we should look more into. No, that's a, that's a really good word. And that's a, yeah, big passion of mine as well. So I think having, having this, you, we started out talking about the, the 
having biblical counseling at the start of churches into the DNA, if we did that cross-culturally with plants and stuff, and it's a big heart of mine to get missions agencies and missions trainers, church planning pastors to think along these lines uh, before they send people. So, no, that's really good. Another th- another ministry that you're involved with is is uh, and work as a consultant with is a ministry called Soul Care Consulting, which uh, you mentioned before, Garrett Higby, who is my predecessor at the BCC, uh, help runs this help start it that kind of thing works with you as well tell us a little bit about about soul care consulting and what that entails um soul care consulting um you know we're, we're not trying to become a new a new certifying agency um in fact i mean there's like we describe what we try to do is come alongside churches and help them implement and and consider how to implement uh, a culture of of soul care uh, and, and that would be, in our minds, the best of what biblical counseling offers is when we say soul care, that's what we mean. Um, and that I don't think early biblical counselors were trying to create lots of professional organizations. I think mm-hmm. they were trying to put the church. Yeah. Um, and in, in so doing, you have these certifying arms that really serve the church so well. Um, soul care is trying to fill in some of those gaps where trying to really help equip the leaders, the the the, the ones who are going to drive the church, the pastors, the elders, um, the small group leaders, the, the the engine of the discipleship ministry at the church, equip them in biblical counseling principles so that you got really from the intentional life on life all the way to the intensive, every level, you've got different levels of equipping in biblical counseling slash soul care ministry. So what that means is we'll come alongside a church over maybe a period and really evaluate their culture um, and try to try to like do a, some type of 360 evaluation of their culture. They're specifically thinking about their discipleship and their, their soul care type culture. And then we'll put together a roadmap for them that, that outlines maybe a two to three year process uh, and steps along the way that they could take to implement a seamless model of care, not just care at different points. Right. And, and that's where we can highlight both resources that we've written and, and many great resources that are out there in the biblical counseling movement that they can kind of will we'll, we'll help them know how to access, access those, when to access them, how to access them, to build that in over a period. So it's not just a flash in the pan, or it's not just a ministry that hinges on three or four people that have been certified through an organization. Mm-hmm. It's being preached, it's being practiced, it's being modeled, and it's being stewarded well in the intensive level as well. So. Yeah, no, that's really good. And and like you said, you guys are not trying to just create another organization. There are other groups out there doing similar work, that kind of thing. But I think it's, uh, to me, and maybe it's just the seat that I sit in, I don't see multiplication as necessarily competitive, but just the recognition. There's a lot of work to be done. There are a lot of churches out there who have really significant questions about like, okay, we want to do this, but how do we do it? And, yeah. and they need they need places to go. They need people to reach out to. So um, one, tell everybody how they can re- get a hold of, uh, how they can contact Soul Care Consulting if they or somebody they know is is uh, looking for that kind of help. Yeah, our, our website's, um, it's soul cons- soulcareconsulting.com. Um, there's, there's several points of contact there. There's uh, the ability to email in through there and then, and then also like some calls that you can make in and, and we've got a team of people that, that steward that. And, um, and, you know, we all work full time in churches, so we're Mm -hmm. pastors, right. But we also have very significant levels of 
entry and, and uh, experience in the biblical counseling movement. And so trying to bring biblical counseling into the whole of the church, not just part of the church. And yeah. so that's, that's what we're aiming to do. No, that's really great. And I think, like you mentioned too there, the fact that you guys are in churches working gives a level of uh, experiential knowledge to what you're what you're doing as well. And and also just highlights the fact that you're not trying to do something separate from the, from the church. It's not some just, uh, yeah, no, that's really good. What are some of the kinds of th- uh, things that, that churches come asking? Obviously, there's the broad, big, how do we create a culture of soul care? But maybe what are some of the more specific um, questions you get about biblical counseling and and how you know, that you guys are asked to address? It comes in different ways. Like if, if a senior pastor like has already like gotten lit up by biblical counseling somewhere along the way, hmm. like I was talking to a guy earlier today who trained at faith. And so he knows, he knows Rob Green, Steve Vyers, and, and then other alumni that I know from there just and so like on multiple levels, we already had a good connection, but he's, he's preaching the word. His main job is to preach and to, to do the ministry of prayer. And, but he has a heart for counseling. He just didn't have the bandwidth to do all that. So he had a respect for Garrett Higby because some of the faith conferences he has spoken. And so I just kind of started to ask him, I said, you know, where do you feel like the biggest deficiency is? He's like, well, we run small groups, but I don't even know that we run small groups effectively. I said, what do you want small groups to be another Bible study? Or do you want them to be something else? And that's, that's where, I can't, I think he got hooked right there. Yeah. He, he, he didn't want another Bible study. He didn't want a sermon regurgitation. He wanted a place where people could actually do ministry yep. to one another, which is what biblical counseling does so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I started to explain to him that side of it, he was, he was in, um, and the other side of it is where you'll have a biblical counselor who's on staff, senior pastor doesn't know anything about biblical counseling. And so they're trying to convince their leadership, Hey, I think this would be good for our church. And that's where somebody like, like me or one of our other consultants can like maybe talk to those elders and just kind of get paint a picture for them, what it could look like, how it's going to benefit the pulpit ministry, how it's going to benefit the small group ministry. It's not just yeah. the counseling guy or the counseling thing. So, so I think getting, getting that's, those are the questions in the comments that we'll get from people. And then we try to just start a conversation with them and see if it's going to be a worthwhile partnership or not. No, that's really good. That's really helpful. Uh, the, the small group thing is such a big, uh, interest right now i think um we've had a lot of uh, in the past few decades i've seen a big resurgence of or maybe insurgence of desired growth to use small groups but then the question is what is it supposed to be how does it work what does it actually do and the creating that genuine relationship where people actually open up and talk to each other that's what i think most is at the heart of what people want but it's like how do we get there? How do we do that? Well, How do we... And during, during COVID this season in 2020, like it's been, it's been interesting to see how this, these circumstances have really exposed our weak ecclesiology in the mm. West. Yeah. Meaning, and I said this to our church Sunday, I said, Hey, welcome to this building. The church is the people. Yeah. Church happens between Sundays. We gather on Sunday to worship, but it happens between Sundays. And yeah. small groups are really a great vehicle for that type of movement. But to what end? And what are you yeah. doing, right? And so that's really where we prefer to spend a bulk of our time is equipping small group leaders, small group coaches, small group pastors to really recruit, apprentice, train, and steward those small groups with biblical counseling principles in mind. 
And so COVID's actually afforded us a lot of unique opportunities to help churches kind of think through some of those things because they haven't had Sundays to be able to lean on like previous years. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Oh man. Well, we could talk about a lot of different things, but we're running out of time uh, because, you know, that's the way life goes. But tell me to help me promote the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. You're a BCC council member. What do you love most about the BCC and what we do? Okay. I, I, I love the biblical counseling movement. 2005, I, I inherit a wealth of knowledge. I'm the young guy on the scene and guys like David Pallison, Ed Welch, um, Steve Byers, Bob Kellerman, Paul Tripp took me under their wing personally. I got to meet these guys early on mm. and just learn about this great movement. And, and, and I was walking into something at a time when the movement was really starting to work together. And, um, and so when the BCC started to have some of those inaugural meetings up in Chicago in different places, um, I didn't get to come into some of the earlier ones, but then there was a key meeting in Philly and it was key guys in the movement. I had no business being in the room, <laughs> but I was in the room and I just was like a young man thinking like, oh, this is incredible. And so to be able to glean from all these great organizations that have been around for decades, um, uh, it's been such an invaluable resource for me for my family, for the churches I've been able to be a part of and countless other people that the Lord's granted me stewardship over. So I think the BCC is an integral part of keeping these great organizations like working together and sharing together and, and being strategic together in ways that kind of when you have tunnel vision with your ministry, you, you forget to do the BCC's thinking outside of those tunnels consistently. And so it's an integral part of what we do in the movement. And I'm so grateful really for your leadership, Curtis and others who've who've gone before you and help you even now. Um, it's really important for what we're trying to do. Yeah, no, well, thank you. And I, that, that feeling of, I don't belong in this room. I still feel that way every time we get together. It's a, it's, it's a great opportunity. So, well, thank you so much for being a, a member of the BCC council and, and contributing in, uh, in a lot of different ways. We really appreciate that. Well, at the end, we, um, we like to have a segment called Two Minute Favorites. This is just kind of a fun way for people to get to know you. Uh, maybe you'll get some candy in the mail. I can't promise anything, but, uh, you know, sometimes it happens. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. All right, here we go. What's your favorite food? Oh, gosh, favorite food? Probably consistently I'd go Tex-Mex. What is your favorite uh, genre of music? Um, gosh, I probably like alternative slash folk. All right. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Hmm. Probably um, like the, the ability to just heal yourself and not age. Favorite gift you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Um, I had somebody give me um, I had somebody give me a Bible one time that was from their family. And uh, it was kind of a personal heirloom. And that mm. was that was special considering the nature of the relationship. Favorite gift you've ever given? Um, I was able to give my wife. Um, I'd been, anyway, I, I was able to save some money and put it aside over a period. And I was able to surprise her with that. And the Lord used that to help us put a down payment on a house. And it was quite shocking to her, but it was a, that was a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. Uh, favorite book of the Bible? Uh, probably First Peter. Favorite book outside of Scripture? Um, knowing God was super influential, but I would say I, it, what I would go with is, uh, Thomas Watson, the doctrine of repentance was a huge formative book for me. All right. Favorite candy. Um, 
I like Haribo gummy bears, um, but the sour snakes, if you hadn't had those, you got to try those. They're incredible. All right. Favorite ice cream flavor. Um, not huge on ice cream. My wife is, but if I had to pick one, it would be uh, probably coffee ice cream. All right. Favorite sport. Uh, football, NFL favorite, football. Favorite sports team. Um, bizarre enough, the Oakland A's. <laughs> All right. Favorite, uh, Bible verse. Um, it would be first Peter, um, one, six, and seven, these things have happened so that your faith, which is a greater worth than gold, might be produced. You know, that that yeah. those two verses, six and seven, probably right there. All right. Well, that wraps up our two-minute favorites as well as this podcast. So, Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the Ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. You can also contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to Carrie Felton, our podcast producer, who arranges and coordinates these interviews, and James Wills, our podcast engineer, who does the sound editing and makes these episodes sound so great. I thank you for being with us again and hope you can join us next time on 1514.